0: Welcome to Igniting Your Faith. At Igniting Your Faith, we strive to motivate listeners toward a full life in Jesus Christ by sharing the love and life-changing force of God's Word. We encourage you to thoughtfully and prayerfully let God's love make an impact in your life. Now here is Dr. Chris Fisher with today's message of powerful truth from God's Word. Well, this is the first Sunday of Advent. Hard to believe, but when you got up and saw the snow this morning, maybe you thought, well, this fits. (laughs) It's the time of year when we remember the promises God gave concerning the appearance of the Savior, fulfilled after ages of waiting and longing. And we also remember that the Lord has promised to return. So Advent has a a sense of remembering and uh, expectation for the second coming as well he promised he wouldn't leave us as orphans that he would come for us he would come back and take us to be with him where he is so we remember not only all the promises that the human race waited for thousands of years to see fulfilled all the way back to the promise given to eve that her seed would stamp on the head of the serpent uh, all the way through to the the last of the old testament prophets echoing and prophesying that the Messiah was coming. And then Jesus' words said, he's coming again, that the Son of Man would come again in glory and redeem all his own. And today we want to focus on a promise God gave Moses in the wilderness. It's recorded in Deuteronomy 18, 14, and 19. And I won't read the whole thing that Doug read, but I want to read some key verses. The nations you will dispossess, listen to those who practice sorcery or divination. But as for you, the Lord your God has not permitted you to do so. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. For this is what you asked the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, let's not hear the voice of the Lord our God nor see this great fire anymore or we'll die. They were were too scared of the heavenly transcendent manifestation of God when he spoke and they wanted an earthly person somebody they could see and you speak through Moses and Moses knew he wouldn't be around forever and who would speak to them and give them confidence that he's speaking on behalf of God and so God told Moses I'll send another prophet to take your place from among the Israelites and he'll speak the words that I give him The Lord said to me, what they say is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites and I will put my words in his mouth. He will tell them everything I command him. I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name. You see, the Lord promised to send a prophet to Israel who would speak God's words Telling them everything he commanded them. Now you might think this meant all those prophets that followed Moses, from Samuel and Nathan all the way to Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and, and the other prophets of Israel, who are listed in, in the different accounts of Samuel and the kings and the chronicles, and who whose books are there—the major and the minor prophets—and that does seem to be one of the meanings. For this reason that they did speak god's word to israel and they would remind israel of what god had already said by the time the events in deuteronomy are being recorded moses was near the end of his life and he was telling them you're going to be entering a land that's full of people who they get their supernatural information from sorcerers and diviners and just prior to that And earlier in in Deuteronomy, uh, the, the previous verses, God warned them not to listen to those people. When you enter the land your Lord, your God has given you, don't learn to imitate the detestable ways of the nations there. And he lists all these things that the nations were practicing that are horrible. Let no one be found among you who sacrifices their son or daughter in the fire, who practices divination or sorcery, Interprets omens, engages in witchcraft, or casts spells, or who is a medium or spiritist, or who consults the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. And because of these same detestable practices, the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you. You must be blameless before the Lord your God. So God knew as Israel entered Canaan, they were going to be facing this kind of spirit this kind of opposition this kind of way of knowing the supernatural realm that was deluded and evil false is going to lead them down deadly paths and alleyways and god was saying to them don't listen to any of those people don't follow them those that way of trying to know the supernatural realm or to control the power of the eternal is evil it's corrupt it's detestable to me and when you get into this new land don't follow somebody who speaks like that, who's a sorcerer or a diviner. That's detestable. I'm gonna send you somebody like Moses who's gonna be speaking my word to you, my word. The people had a powerful mediator in Moses, one with supernatural chops, you could say, accompanied by miraculous signs. And when Moses was gone, these pagan practitioners with supernatural occult claims we're gonna, they, that the people of Israel are about to conquer in Canaan, the Israelites might be tempted to go and consult the shamans and the witch doctors for help. And they were forbidden to do this because of the source of inspiration of those prophets, which would be the demons and the lying spirits behind the idols they worshipped. You know, you read Moses somewhere in, in the law says... That the the idols the nations worship are not gods, they're demons. And these demons front these idols, but they are leading whoever worships them astray. There's only one God. All the others are fakes. And so somebody who's worshiping another god and speaking on their behalf is speaking on behalf of a demon and is speaking from a lying spirit. You can't trust them. God promised Israel he would send someone who would speak God's words to them, a prophet like Moses. And they were to listen to this new prophet who would speak God's very words. And those prophets' words would be so powerful and so accurate of what God wanted to say that God promised he would call to account anyone who would not listen to that prophet. All right, so he's promising that he's going to send somebody whose words are the very words of God. Now, the Israelites would be able to test the prophet using three tests, and they're listed there in Deuteronomy 18. I'll read them again. Well, I'm going to have to go back and find it, sorry. You may say to yourselves, how can we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? If what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. That prophet has spoken presumptuously, so do not be alarmed. And in the verse before he says, a prophet who presumes to speak in my name anything I have not commanded, or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods is to be put to death. So you see there's three tests in those verses, one, He will be one who speaks according to what God commands. He'll say what God says for him to say. Not what the people want to hear. Not some philosophy of human beings. Not uh, advice that's come from some pagan deity from an idol. That's the second test. He will not speak in the name of some other God. And the third test, what he says will come true. If it doesn't come true or he speaks in the name of a foreign god, he's a false prophet. Now, down through Israel's history, there were many true prophets, but there were also many false ones. Maybe you remember the contest between Elijah and the prophets of of Baal on top of Mount Carmel. And there were many, many prophets of Baal, but only a few prophets of the Lord left in the nation of Israel. And Elijah called them to a great contest in which the prophets of Baal, who was one of the typical Canaanite lord's deities that the Canaanite peoples worshipped, and that the king and queen of Israel were worshipping and leading Israel to worship. And in that great contest, God was shown to be the one who had the power, and Baal was a phony, an empty, a a mere word, a, a mere statue of clay with no power behind it, except the power of a lying spirit to delude people and try and lead them away from the true God. Now, these tests I'm going to have come back to towards the end of the message because they're still relevant to us today. We are still in an age in which there are lying prophets, and there may be real prophets. There are people who are speaking the Word of God, and there are people who are speaking the delusions of their own mind, or they're speaking things that are inspired by evil spirits. And we need to know how to discern those as the people of God. Because those voices are out there. If you get on the internet and tune in or you do a search for prophets, you can find people saying all kinds of different things and motivated by all kinds of different spirits, not just the Holy Spirit. And if you don't know how to discern what they're saying, you too could be deluded and deceived. Now, there's a sense in which this promise that God gave to Moses was immediately about what they were to face as they were going into Canaan. But there's also a greater sense in which there's an ultimate fulfillment of this promise that takes place in the Messiah. The wording of the promise through Moses doesn't mention many prophets. It mentions just one, a prophet. One whose word would be the very word of God. He will speak what I put in his mouth. That's all he'll say. At the time of Christ, the Jewish people were still looking for that promised prophet. We could call that one the prophet with a capital P. If you think of those other servants of God who did speak on God's behalf through the ages, whether Samuel, Isaiah, Daniel, and so on, small p. But this promise is about a great prophet with a capital P. The testimony of John the Baptist illuminates this. It's recorded in John 1, right at the beginning of the gospel, in verse 19. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confess freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then, who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And if you look in your translation, that'll be capital P. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. And finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. And he goes on to prophesy. Now, the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, why then do you baptize if you're not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. So, John, and you can see in the, the era in which Jesus lived, in which John began the ministry that prepared the way for Jesus, people were expecting the prophet, somebody who would have unique authority to speak On behalf of God. Several New Testament scriptures show that Jesus is this promised prophet. Peter in Acts 3.22 includes the Deuteronomy 18 promise in what he says in the sermon on the day of Pentecost, clearly pointing to Jesus as the fulfillment of that promise. I want to just read that real quick. For Moses said, "The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything He tells you. Anyone who does not listen to Him will be completely cut off from their people." Now if you read on I'm sorry, it's not the day of Pentecost, it's when it's after the healing, when he's preaching in the temple, after the healing of the lame beggar. Not too long after Pentecost. And there he's pointing to Jesus as the prophet they were looking for. Stephen quotes the same scripture in Acts 7.37, implying that Jesus is the prophet promised through Moses. And Matthew 21:11 records the crowd saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. When we heard the reading today from uh, Luke 7, when Jesus raised the son of the widow of Nain from the dead, the people cried out they were, when they were filled with awe and praised God. They said, a great prophet has appeared among us. God has come to help his people. When Jesus revealed to the woman at the well that he knew of her various marriages and romantic entanglements, the woman said, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. He, he knew supernatural information about her that came from no human source it came from god and it revealed to her that jesus was a prophet when folks sought to seize him uh when the the leaders wanted to arrest him they were afraid of the people because many considered jesus to be a prophet After the feeding of the 5,000, John records the response of the people. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. He knew that wasn't the kind of kingship, that wasn't the way his kingship was going to come in on the world. And you begin to see here also that in the Messiah is a summary not just of the prophet, but of the promised heir of David, the king, and the promised fulfillment of the priestly office. So, prophet, priest, and king. Finally, after the resurrection, when Jesus spoke in disguise to two men on the road to Emmaus, he asked them what they were talking about, and they answered, it's in Luke 24, they were talking about Jesus of Nazareth, he was a prophet powerful in word and deed before god and all the people and and you know how they relate then to jesus all the things that had happened in jerusalem including the rumor that the tomb was empty and that some of the people had had a vision of of angels and some of the women had seen him and then jesus says to them there and that as they're walking along the road to emmaus he said how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. I'm the Messiah. All these prophecies from Moses all the way through the end, they're about me. And so we see that Jesus is not just the prophet whom Moses foretold, but also the Messiah. The Messiah is prophet, priest, and king all rolled into one person. He's the one whose words are the perfect word of God that we can trust when you can't trust anybody else's. Because he's speaking exactly what God gave him to say nothing more, nothing less. So if we want to have sure information about God in eternity, there's no other prophet to go to that has his authority or his credentials. What is it that proves he's a prophet, finally? It's not just his supernatural events like feeding the 5,000 or raising the the widow of Nain's son from the dead. That's great. That is, those are part of his supernatural chops. But it's that greater thing. What is it? Resurrection, I heard it. I heard somebody say it. That God vindicated him as his son and the true Messiah, the prophet, the priest, the king, the promised fulfillment of David's heir, the king who will sit on Israel's throne forever by raising him from the dead. You don't get any greater authority than that. Nobody else in all of history has conquered death in that way. Now, I want to circle back to that earlier theme of why uh, God warned the people through Moses not to get involved with the prophets, quote-unquote, prophets of the Canaanites. They're sorcerers, their are diviners, their are witch doctors, they're shamans. You know, that's important for us because in the New Testament, the gift of prophecy continues in the church. Both Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, both list prophecy as one of the gifts of the Spirit. And there, you read in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, you discover there's some prophets. One is named Agabus, and God tells him a famine is coming, and they should get ready for that. And because of Agabus's words, because God has told Agabus what to say, the people of God who trust in Jesus are forewarned, and they know how to get ready for that. Jesus Himself gave them lots of prophecy about how to get ready for various trials and tribulations that were coming, including this one. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, you'll know that her desolation is near. Then get out. If you're in the city, get out. Run to the, to the countryside. Flee. And don't stay in there, because it'll be a time of terrible suffering. And, you know, when the Romans began to surround Jerusalem in, 70, uh, in the run-up to 70 A.D., uh, the people who trusted in Jesus got out of town. And the ones who were listening to false prophets and who had their hopes in false messiahs, they stayed in there and thought, now's the time for us to throw off the yoke of Rome. And all those people surrounded in that city, holed up and walled up, began to starve to death. And they began to attack each other, to assassinate each other in factions, to do all kinds of horrible things inside those city walls as the food ran out. And finally, when the Romans breached the wall, they killed almost everybody. And then they leveled the city. So the people who listened to Jesus were ready when bad times came to know how to deal with them. They weren't there. They got out and hid. Praise the Lord, right? So that's one of the reasons God gives us the true prophet and his servants. And we today still need to know how to discern because there are no other prophets with a capital P besides Jesus. Anybody else who claims to be so is a pretender and a charlatan. The New Testament warns us to watch out for false prophets with warnings similar to those in Deuteronomy 18. Jesus in Matthew 24, 24, there will be many false Christs and false prophets. 1 John 4, dear friends, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. Somewhere else, they give a simil- Paul gives a, a similar uh, test. He says, whoever says, Jesus is Lord, says it by the Holy Spirit, and no one can say, Jesus be cursed by the Holy Spirit. When you hear Jesus being reviled or cursed, you know that that's not the Spirit of God. When you, know, when you see him being dishonored or run down or being presented as less than God's prophet and Messiah and King, you know that that's a lying spirit. Matthew seven fifteen. watch out, for false prophets, they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? What's the fruit of their teaching? Second Peter 2, Peter warns us, There were also prof- false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. Now, see, Peter speaking in the New Testament era. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. You know, there are lots of people who are teaching in the church these days uh, around the country and around the world, and some of them are teaching a dumbed-down version of Jesus. Some of them are even saying, Jesus' death on the cross doesn't matter. We're not going to talk about his blood sacrifice for us anymore. That's too violent. That's too bloody. And they are fulfilling these very words to reveal that they're false teachers when they trample and spit on the blood of the Lord and despise it as if it wasn't important, when the blood of God was shed for us that we could be forgiven. Whoever doesn't trust in Christ is not to be trusted many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute it's interesting that in many of these false teachers are promoting and advancing and advocating liberty utter liberty complete liberty to do whatever you want whatever your feelings and desires tell you to do and saying jesus is just a god of love that you can do anything he just loves you In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. You see, these three tests in Deuteronomy 18, they are still useful. Do they speak what God has said? Is it in agreement with what we already know God has said? It's one of the reasons it's so important that you know your scripture, because there are people who are standing up and claiming spiritual authority, but the spirits that are inspiring them and leading them are spirits of idols. They're sorcery. They're divination. They're occult involvement in witchcraft. And so they're delusions. They're empty. They're only from this world. They're not from eternity. So, but how do you test them? If you know the word of God, you can test and hear what they say and say, well, that's all God said. God has said something else and that second do they speak in the name of another God the name of another Jesus Uh, some time ago I I I gave a message and I looked at all these different false Christs and false prophets who've come along the scene And, and not just way back in early church days but in the last hundred years or so And we've lived through seeing some of those. Some of you have been alive to see people like Jim Jones or uh, Mr. Moon with his Moonies uh, and these other people who claim to be false, who claim to be Christs, who were in fact false prophets and who led their people into error and delusion and sometimes death. That third test, does what they say come true? You know, today there are many so-called prophets saying things that stir up the imagination and, and claiming to have visions and dreams. Last Christmas when we were together for the family, I, some people have sent me some texts and links to these, some of these folks who are claiming to have supernatural dreams and describing what was about to take place in our country and saying God has said such and so is gonna happen. And they put their hopes in those people, some some Christians put their hopes in these people who are prophesying like the re-rise of the church, triumphant, and it didn't happen that way. That's not what happened. Something else happened, different from what those prophets said. If what a prophet says comes true, then you'll know they're from me. If it doesn't come true, you'll know that they've spoken presumptuously. Now, the Old Testament penalty for that was pretty, pretty severe. A prophet who claims to speak for me, but doesn't say what I've given them to say. <laughs> who speaks presumptuously, presumptuously is to be put to death. That's severe, because that's how concerned God is that his people not be lied to or deluded. That's what that's really about. He is so concerned that we live in the truth because the truth is what makes us free. When we listen to false prophets and get our hopes up based on false delusions, then we get enslaved and then we get disappointed. Then we get, um, what's it, we get jaded and we think, oh, nothing about the supernatural is to be believed. When what's happened is that we've been deceived by a lying spirit. We need to be able to discern that so it doesn't happen to us. Paul warns in Colossians 2 18 and 19. I want to just read this for you. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what what they've seen. They're puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They've lost connection with the head from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow since you died with Christ to the elementary spiritual forces of this world, why? As though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules?" So he's warning there against just listening to people who have fantastic visions and claim to be speaking about what's going to happen, but then it doesn't happen. Just don't don't listen to those people. Don't put your hopes in them. Now, it grieves me when I hear about believers who've put their hopes in this kind of false prophecy, and then they go off and follow it, and then, because they think, it, and it's, it is stirring. It's got a kind of a, a, an adrenaline kick to it to hear about people are saying, this is immediately what's going to happen. And I saw this vision about what that means, and, and, and they're all stirred up like, wow, look at that. We're about to conquer Caesar again. We're about to overthrow the evil forces of the world. And, and it doesn't happen that way. And then they get cynical. And then some of them turn away and lose faith altogether. Today there are so many of these so-called prophets saying things that stir up the imagined nation and claiming to have visions, watch out for their fruit. So what's the goal of our faith? Anybody remember? Four-letter word, L, Uh -uh. right. The goal of our faith is love. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, uh, self-control, long-suffering. These are the things that God wants to see grow in us. And these are the, what did Jesus say? By their fruit, you'll know them. If the prophet is stirring up war for war's sake... Is that what God would have done? Does that advance the kingdom of God? Kingdom of God is not the kingdom of this world. And Jesus is the trustworthy prophet. And yes, I do believe that there are still people that God is speaking to who have the gift of prophecy. It's in the book of 1 Corinthians, it's in the book of Romans. And I don't think that that's past just as I don't think the other gifts have passed. I think there's a place for all the spiritual gifts in the body of Christ. But those are prophets with a small p, and their word can be an error. And and so Paul, instructing how to discern what a prophet is saying, when somebody stands up and says they have a word from the Lord, listen to them. But then if somebody else stands up, listen to them and discern what they're saying. Because the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. Uh, The prophecy in the New Testament is not like the the Canaanite idol-worshiping prophecy where people would get filled with the evil spirit and they would speak um, utterances of nonsense with some things strung in there that might sound like, oh, that could match my life, sort of like the astrology column or like um, the horoscope. And they would often be, do it in a way that they were totally out of control, like a, a, a drug-induced fit. And in, in fact, many of them were in a drug-induced fit because that's what idol worship encouraged. Pagan worship included drug-induced fits. And God says, don't worship me the way those folks worship me. They're listening to lying spirits. So in the New Testament, when a spirit speaks, to, when the Holy Spirit speaks to a prophet, the way he's going to do it is not through an, some kind of ecstatic thing that overwhelms them and puts them out of control and so that they're forced to say what they don't want to say. You know how God speaks. He speaks in the still, small voice, the whisper of conscience, and the voice that leads to peace, of, to goodness, to, to surrender of the self to laying down of sin. And so it's important to be able to discern the voice of God coming from somebody who believes they have a word from God and to recognize when they're just speaking out of their own imagination and the fruit it's producing is not the fruit of the kingdom. We need to discern that and we need to firmly resist those deceiving spirits. And we have in Jesus the trustworthy prophet who has the exact word of God. And not just the prophet. That was one of the things that the Pharisees didn't understand. They were expecting these people to be different people, the prophet and the Messiah. And the heir of David, the king. And they probably thought the heir of David and the king and the Messiah were the same. But they didn't put them together. And in the New Testament, in the resurrection, through the teaching of the apostles, we understand that Jesus is the fulfillment of all three. Glory to God. Prophet, priest, and king. Our perfect intercessor, the one whose words are absolutely trustworthy. And if somebody comes to you claiming to be his representative, and they say, oh no, Jesus was just a man, and he made mistakes, and you can't always trust what he said, guess whose spirit they're speaking by? That's right. They are not speaking by the Holy Spirit. They're speaking by a deluded spirit. Do not listen to them. Jesus is the one with the perfect word of God in his mouth. And why is that? Because he is the word of God. John 1. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. And nothing that was made was made without him. Everything was made through him. He's the perfect word of God. He is the one through whom the Father has decided to speak reality into existence. And he's come and become incarnate. One of us. So we can have not the terrifying voice of God speaking from eternity, but God in the flesh. One of us. A fellow Israelite who brings the Word of God, but the perfect Word of God, in a way we can receive and hear, one who bears our sin, one who rules with an iron rod to smash the nations to pieces, yes, but with a heart of compassion and love and redemption, who won't break a bruised reed or put out a smoldering wick, who knows our weakness, and who intercedes for us. Do we not have a mighty Savior? Amen. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Igniting Your Faith. Let God's word empower your life with new growth that encourages everyone you meet. Igniting Your Faith is copyrighted and published by Dr. Chris Fisher and First Church, Schuylkill Haven, Pennsylvania. Special piano music played by Cindy McClelland. You can find more information about Dr. Chris Fisher, this podcast, and the church at our website, havenfirstumc.org. We hope you will join us again next week and let God ignite your faith.